we thank you Lord that you are here this morning to deliver what each one of us need so that we can be lifted up to that place you have prepared for us and our hearts may be enjoined with you in the purposes of God led by the spirit and not by man or self so we pray that Lord you would give us the spirits of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Jesus this morning that we might know and understand the things of God and a purpose for us in Jesus name we pray hallelujah I believe that God is bringing about a new generation which I call the emerging generation it's already happening and it's all around the world people are moving in what God has purpose for them and they're not holding back but with every emerging generation of people when we look at the prophetic there's a turmoil that follows the prophetic of what has been said and what is being activated when I say a turmoil it's usually a violent kind of turmoil for example the birth of Jesus produced a great violence of murder and many thousands of children lost their lives because of the birth of Jesus but yet Jesus was prophesied from the foundations of the earth and the day came when he was born and that produced a, uh, a great turmoil and verb violence that killed thousands and thousands of children in Israel at the time Joseph received two prophetic dreams about his future and he entered into 17 years of great difficulty where he was uh, accused falsely nearly murdered, put in prison and so many other things that happened to him till finally he could come into a place where he could bring a nation together so the prophetic has an outworking but there is also a cost and a consequence to each prophetic thing that God has purposed for us on the earth Moses was prophesied as being a leader of Israel to release Israel but he was living in the luxury of the Egyptian palace at the time that God had purposed to position him in that place he mistook his calling and he murdered an Egyptian and then he went out into the wilderness for 40 years before he was called back and asked to deliver the nation that Joseph had put, back, put together the giving of the Spirit of God in rebirth was also going to be violent because of the consequences it carried for the kingdom of darkness now you've got to remember this that in, in everything that happens there's a kingdom of darkness scenario and there's a kingdom of light scenario so whatever light is trying to do okay kingdom of darkness doesn't like it and wants to destroy it so the, the prophecy about the giving of the Holy Spirit was also going to carry with it something violent so John the Baptist came at a time when he was getting ready for Jesus' ministry to start and he had already started his ministry and he came talking about the prophetic about the kingdom of God okay he was the first one who was actually talking about the kingdom of God to the people and uh, there was a lot of talk about it before that but nothing was really concluded on what it meant and how it would look and so on and so forth but John the Baptist began to speak about the 
kingdom of God with great revelation. And people started coming to his ministry, getting baptized in water by the hundreds or maybe even the thousands. So when he started to demonstrate the kingdom, the violent wanted to take the kingdom, so they killed him. And so we see in the word Matthew 11, 12 that, you know, he says the kingdom of God suffereth violence and the violent take it by force. Okay, now we have traditionally preached that it's talking about Christians taking the kingdom of heaven by force. That I don't believe is so. I believe what the word is saying is that violent people are violently taking the kingdom of God. That's what it's saying. It didn't say believers are taking back. They're not, believers are not violent people. Okay? We carry the sword of the spirit. Uh, we carry the whole armor of God. But we are not violent people. We don't go around killing, murdering and doing all those things to take the kingdom of God. And that's not what God had purposed. Right? And that's why the disciples asked Jesus, when are you going to set up your kingdom upon the earth? Because they wanted a king would come and destroy all their enemies so that they could then rule with him on earth. And they were equating it to something physical on this earth where there would be violence. And yes, there's going to come a day when Jesus will come and he will sort out the world in that way, but it's not yet. So, as we are thinking about why the prophetic works this way, we have to bring it into an understanding into our own personal lives and understand who we are in the prophetic of what God had purpose for the world and the church and who we are individually in what God has purpose for you and I individually. The moment you begin to realize that, you find yourself in all sorts of difficulties and problems. Okay, that is coming out of a realization of why these things are happening to you. But there are many Christians who don't know why things are happening to them. And you know, they are worried about their lives, about their family, about their soul, about all sorts of things. And they don't understand why those things are happening to them. Now, as I've told you many times before, my whole journey out of my mother's womb has been violent, has been problematic, has been full demon ridden and problems coming and I just didn't understand it. I was worried about my soul later on when I came to know Jesus. I was worried about my life before I came to know Jesus and all sorts of issues were going on but I didn't know why. And then one day the revelation came when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, but He gave it in bits. He did not give it all in one hit, because He knew I couldn't take it. So the prophetic is an outworking. Okay? Please understand this. The prophetic is an outworking. Okay? So it will go on working till the day you die. So if you're in danger of dying, okay, the best person to give your life to is the Lord who can keep your soul and not worry about the one who can take your life. Okay, because the one who can take your life can't take your soul like God can. Okay, so it's important to press it to God and to understand and say, God, in my prophetic difficulty, in my, in my life that I'm going through, this turbulence that I've, I keep uh, facing, the violence, because uh, 
I don't, I don't understand it, but it's happening. And what is going on? Please explain it to me. And God begins to tell you as you press it. See, your life is prophetic. No matter what you may think about it, your life is prophetic. You say, oh, did I go through all the problems I went through in my childhood because of that? Yes. Simple answer. But you didn't know why. Okay? And God is now working and outworking in you that is going to bring you into a place where you get saved and then you go into the promised land. And there the prophetic takes on a different dimension, a different way of working. And then you begin to see who you are in Christ Jesus and why God brought you through the passage of difficulty and suffering. Okay, it doesn't mean that once you come into the promised land, that suffering won't continue. It says that you have a different mindset, okay, a different understanding of why those things are happening and then you are able to deal with it. Hallelujah. And that's what makes a victorious and a conquering Christian. So your life is prophetic and carries with it turbulence and violence because you're a threat to the kingdom of darkness. Because you're a threat to the kingdom of darkness. You're not a threat to the kingdom of heaven. Okay? You're a threat to the kingdom of darkness. So don't blame God. Okay? Because lots of people blame God like myself. You know, I know you're not like me. Uh, but I used to blame God for everything that went wrong with my life. Because I always said to God, you have the power to change it and you are not. So what if He doesn't change the situation in your life, even though you have requested it to do so? What if he doesn't change it? What if he takes his time about it? See, that leaves you in a quandary. It leaves you in a difficulty of your relationship with God and trying to understand why he's not answering your prayers or doesn't he care for me and so on and so forth. But not stopping for one moment to think that you're dealing with the all-wise God who knows your life, who created your life, who knows the path that He must order for you so that you go and end up in the place that He has prepared for you on this journey in life, on earth, as well as as you leave this earth and go into heaven. So, this all-wise God has purposed that you and I should follow a prophetic path. And each one of us are different in the way we are called by God to do that. So we don't have to imitate another person or try to be like another person because that grass is greener on the other side and say, oh God, if I can only be like that person, then I'd, I'd, I'd be out of my troubles. No, you don't compare yourself to anybody else. You may go through more troubles than somebody else or you may go through less troubles than somebody else. Right? But you've got to understand why those things are happening and then deal with them. And one of the, the, the major aspects of why those things are happening is because the prophetic is working. Not everything is prophetic. Not everything that is happening in your life is happening because of the prophetic. It's happening because of your mistakes. It's happening because the enemy knows that you know he, he can get at you. You've been sinning. You've been doing something wrong. You've been opening the doors in your life to allow the devil to attack. And so the prophetic gets thwarted, it gets uh, stamped, it gets quenched, and all sorts of things happen. And you're thinking, God, but I had a word, and yet it's not happening, what's going on? He says, yeah, but you haven't checked your heart lately to see where you're at with me. Okay? I said, but I'm doing all the, the periphery things. I'm going to church, paying my tithes. I'm doing all the, yeah, you're doing all of that, but you're not walking with me. 
And then you begin to realize that God is interested in an intimate relationship of one-on-one where you and He are in like like twin brothers, like together. And you know, nothing is going to be easy for you and I on this earth. And don't try to make it easy. Please. You know, this mindset that we have in the world, that everything should go smooth. Nothing should go wrong at all. And the moment something goes wrong, even a little bit, we get so upset, we get so depressed, we get so angry about it, and, and we're blaming everybody else and everything else around us, and we're trying to make it happen, and, and you know, we're trying all sorts of things. It's all going to happen. Nothing is going to change until you begin to accept that you have a relationship with God that is a threat to the kingdom of darkness. That you are a target. You are a primary target. He doesn't have to go after the drug addict per se because the drug addict is already a drug addict and he is down and out. But the moment an evangelist goes to the drug addict and starts talking to him about Jesus, he's going to get angry, the devil is, and he's going to attack the drug addict even more and he's going to attack the evangelist. Because he knows that the drug addict has a prophetic destiny in there and the evangelist has been given an idea about what this prophetic destiny is and he goes to him and he tells him, son, you know, you don't need to be a drug addict, you're more than a conqueror, rise up and stand and walk. And he says, no, 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 no. The devil says, no, I'm not going to let him believe for one moment that that's what he is. I was a drug addict and alcoholic. So I know what I'm talking about. And everybody who came to me, the devil thwarted and, and said, no, 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 don't, don't tell him the, the, the gospel because if he believes it, he's going to take hold of his prophetic life. So what had happened? The prophetic life had got stemmed from my mother's womb right up to the point that I accepted Jesus Christ. When I accepted Jesus Christ, the prophetic began to operate in more power than it ever did. Because there is a quenching force that is working against the prophetic in your life. And is constantly working to bring you down. Constantly working to bring you down. In your mind, in your spirit, in your body. is constantly working. He has got thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of demons who do his bidding. And they know your lifestyle. They know how you operate. They know how you think. They know the open doors in your life. They have studied you. They visit you. You don't even know that they are visiting you. You think it's just coincidence. You just think it's incident. You just think, oh, you know, that's the way life is because you've been taught that. But Christianity is telling us a different story, which we have an evidence of in the Bible. You know, this morning the Lord spoke to me. I got a revelation that when Jesus said to the devil in the wilderness, when Jesus said to the devil in the wilderness, it is written. I, I said, wow, what is it? He said, it is written. That means end of story, son. Right? You're finished. You, you, you have absolutely no authority over me because it is written about me. Right? 
It's not some heavy fairy story, it's not a fable like Peter said. Oh, it's a, we're not talking to you about cunningly devised fables. We're talking about what is written here. We have the word written. You can argue about whether this is the word, this is the right word, whether the NIV version is right or some other version is right or whether the Mormons have the right Bibles or somebody else has the right Bibles. And you know, how did Moses write the five books when he was uh, not even there at creation and all, all these arguments you can have, but it is written. Okay, if it is written, if it is written, then it must be true. No, 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 it can't be true. Just because it was written by an author, it doesn't make it true. Who knows whether it's true or not? Very easy. Take the written word and put it into practice. Take the written word and put it into practice. See if it works for yourself. Right? And that's when the prophetic starts to is It is written. The scriptures have written about me. And you search the scriptures to find out about me. And you still don't know who I am. That's what Jesus told the Pharisees. Right? So what's the point of us following God without understanding God? That's what my big question is. What's the point of us following God without understanding what His plan is for our lives? Or what it is that he's trying to say to us on a daily basis or a moment-by-moment -moment basis. Can he talk every second of the day? Of course he can. Right? And he is. And he's trying to get to you. And we go years and years and years and years without understanding what is the plan of God for our life. So we live the unprophetic life rather than the prophetic life. If we just fell into his plan. If we just fell into accepting that this is the pathway God has for us. You say, you, but God's pathway must be without any problems, without any thorns, without any difficulties, without any break in relationships. No, that's not the Lord's path. The Lord's path is suffering, obedience, understanding, wisdom, knowledge, getting into prayer with Him, understanding Him and following Him. That's His path. Okay? It just doesn't come to you. You have to bow down to the word. See, any form of birth is always going to carry with it suffering. You women should know that. Right? Any form of birth, whether it's physical or emotional or spiritual or anything. So I believe that this generation, this emerging generation, is right now operating out of a great turmoil that took place before about a great thing that happened previously and that turmoil is in the church that turmoil is the turbulence is in the church the church has misunderstood the plans and purposes of God and the power of God and his methods and his ways so they have gone into things that are not of God. Why? To hide the idea that this could be real, that this is the power of God working in this generation. One of the aspects of understanding that is to understand how grace works in a time like this. 
regarding all manners of difficulty with society and the way they live their lives, that you could easily end up judging them. But the emerging generation <coughs> understand the ways of the Lord and know what to do about that. And I believe God is bringing a people who are going to work in dark places, in difficult places. Because now the dark places and the difficult places are not hidden in some part of Africa or some part of India. They are right next door to you. Your neighbor is in sin of some sort. Your neighbor is in difficulty of some sort. Suicide, murder, rape, alcoholism, drunkenness, fornication, lies, deception to the mass level. Not to the individual here and there. You know, those were the days when we could keep our doors open and we didn't have to worry about robbers. Nowadays, you've got to have 25 padlocks before you go to bed. No, we are living in a society now that requires a different kind of spirit-filled person. Yeah. Yeah. A different kind of spirit-filled person. One who is in tune with what the Holy Spirit is doing. And then understand grace and understand how it works and why it is working. And then know to differentiate between what is of grace and what is not of grace. <coughs> I better not get into that. But what I'm saying is, you know, God loves everybody, but not everybody's going to make it. It's not because God doesn't love them. It's because God has spoken to them and they haven't received. They don't want to receive. But yet he's, he's doing something in this generation that is cutting through a lot of the darkness in people's hearts and minds. And he's bringing in power of revelation and power of healing and deliverance like never before. Amen. And it's coming out of a dedicated people who are dedicated to the kingdom of God and not the kingdom of this world. And you've got to decide on which side your foot is. Because you can't have one on this side and one on that side. You've got to be all on the side of the Lord or not. Amen. Amen. And it's not living it in the mind. You can't live your Christianity in your mind. You've got to live your Christianity in your actions. <coughs> in your speech. In your doing of what the Lord said you should be doing. Now that puts us in difficulty because we're also absorbed with our natural lives that we have no time for the spiritual life. The eternal life is something for us that has already been ordained and so we're quite happy to say to ourselves, well I'm saved, I'm going to get to heaven so I don't have to worry about anything else. Big mistake. Big mistake. Oh, woe is me, noble, you don't understand. I've got sickness, I've got disease, I've got my family, my husband ran away, my house burned down. This happened, that happened, you know. 
Hey, I can tell you a billion stories that are worse than yours. I can tell you one right now. Wendy gave me a magazine on what's happening in India. Just one story. A man becomes a Christian in a, in a village that's more predominantly Buddhist. So he and his wife and his children are living in this village and spreading the gospel of Jesus. One day a whole lot of Buddhist boys catch hold of his ten-year-old son and beat him up so badly that he dies in the hands of his father before he could get to the hospital. So the father and the mother become drunkards because they cannot understand the ways of the Lord. They cannot understand why this has happened to them. So they become drunkards. We don't know for how long, I can't tell you exactly, but then one day he's walking down the street and he meets his pastor from his church. And the pastor tells him, how are you doing? He said, oh, you know, whatever. And he said, do you want to see your son? So he says, what are you talking about? You know, uh, you know he got killed and all this other stuff. Don't bring up the old hurts. And he said, no, I'm asking you a fair question. Do you want to see your son? He said, of course I do. He said, well, then you need to come back to the Lord. Because if you don't see us, if you want to see your son and you don't follow the Lord, you're going to hell and your son is in heaven. Hello, are you listening to me this morning? Yeah. Your son is in heaven, but you're going to hell because you've left the Lord. He went to bed that night and he had a dream. And his son visited him in the dream and said, Dad, I'm in heaven. It's not your time yet. Return to the Lord. So he did. And he went out and he spread the gospel. This is the emerging generation. In the Western world, they don't understand what's happening in the underdeveloped nations. They have no idea of the kind of suffering people are going through to keep the name of Jesus alive upon earth and in their hearts and in the hearts of men and to spread the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. It is costing them something. That's the emerging generation that will lay down their lives for Jesus. Yes, the hurts are there. The death is there. The loss is there. The answer to prayer is not there. So don't tell me that Jesus loves everybody and everyone's going to heaven. No. It's going to take our effort to reach a lost world, to tell them about Jesus. And only those who accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and are walking according to His principles and His commandments will go to heaven. It's clearly written for us in the Bible. I don't know why we want to skip that and offer false grace to people. Let us not offer false grace. So today's generation, they're saying over and over and over and over again that we will speak the truth, we will release the truth, no matter what the consequences are. 
So they were interviewing Graham, Franklin Graham and said, do you believe in homosexuality and it's allowed today? He said, no, I don't. He's, he's the number one public figure after his father in the world today and they're asking him a question to put him in a trap so that his ministry will get affected. And he said, listen man, God says no. So I say no. He said, I don't hate them. But there is a way to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior and follow Him. You can't have a homosexual church. You can't have a lesbian church and worshiping God and you're practicing your, your wayward ways. No, there's a, there's a legal way to live your Christian life upon this earth. And so this emerging generation of people who are made up primarily of young people Young adults are going on and setting the world on fire. They're not bothered about who's going to come after them or whether they're, uh, you know, telling the truth is politically correct or not. They don't care too much about that because they are working for the kingdom of God and they're affecting the kingdom of darkness and they're taking back what the devil stole. About time we as a church took back what the devil is stealing from us. Amen. Right? Stand up. Stand up. Stop always me and oh, you know, this happened to me 20 years ago and I'm still living it, you know. And look, I appreciate the problems. I do. But once I give you the solution to it, you should accept it. Don't expect me to go on living the 20 years of your damage with you. You know, this is what second marriages do. The husband or the wife carries the baggage from the first marriage into the second marriage. Guess what you got? Guess what you got, Chris? If you don't bring the right baggage to the airline, they will charge you excess baggage. And nobody can carry excess baggage. Okay? Nobody can. I certainly don't want to. I used to tell the church that I became a pastor back in Utah. I said, listen, you bring me a burden, I will take it to the Lord. And whatever He tells me, I will tell you. And if you accept it, well and good. If you don't accept it, see you bye. I'm sorry, I can't help you anymore. Why should I carry your burden? That you've been carrying for 40 years and 50 years. What God is saying, you are released. You're healed, you're delivered, you're set free, you're saved, you're washed clean in the blood. Now go and do what I'm telling you to do. <laughs> Everywhere you go, and people can see it, it's so obvious. No birth is easy. And believe me, God is birthing something that's happening now. It's extraordinary. It's, it's gone into the supernatural. It's pulling down the supernatural into the realm of the natural and changing it. So what the problem is the church is having a tough time understanding the diversity of God's ways and therefore criticizing it and practicing wrong ways to, to the detriment of the unbeliever. So when the unbeliever sees that in the church that there are things that are happening that actually blaspheme the name of God and does not bless the name of God, then they are saying, why should I come to church? I have that same life already in the world. Why should I come to your church? You're not preaching the truth. 
you're living in sin, you're robbing money, you're hating one another, you're talking about each other. So we've got that in the world. Why do we need to come to the church for it? <clears throat> and pretend to be a Christian. Now, the emerging generation is going to be a holy generation. A holy generation. We stand today, holy, holy, holy. I want to tell you so much because the Lord has just downloaded so much about what is going on. And there are pockets of people around the world who have taken hold of this understanding of God and have brought it into the church and the church members have received that vision and their churches are exploding. Now, I'm not just of people who are coming in from the world and just living a worldly life. No, I'm talking about exploding with people who understand holiness and righteousness and the love of God and are willing to talk the truth and walk the truth and speak the truth and do demonstrate the power of God. That's what John the Baptist did when he came. He spoke the truth. He demonstrated the truth. He never compromised even one bit. And they killed him for it. Maybe you're going to lose your life over it. I don't know. That's up to the Lord. The new generation knows no fear or anything about the devil's attacks. They mean nothing to them because they do not love their lives unto death. Revelation. You overcome the devil by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony and you do not love your life unto death. So there's the same magazine, this woman and her husband took in her nephew who was a drunkard. One day a squabble took over and, and, and the nephew took a knife and shoved it into the heart of this man and he died. So all the relatives said to uh, the wife, no, you know, you need to go back to Hinduism. You don't need to stay in Christianity. And they've been asking her all along, uh, them all along about leaving Christianity. And they said, no, we love the Lord. But when this happened, they came and pressured her even more. She said, no, I love the Lord. Death or no death. What are you bemoaning about? What are you crying about? Huh? I really want to ask you that question. What are you weeping about quietly in your room? Feeling sorry for yourself. These people don't even have two cents to rub together and they love Jesus and they're following Jesus because somebody brought the gospel to them and they say, no, I'm going to follow Jesus even unto death. Even unto death. Now you might be thinking, oh, well, I'm sitting in Australia and none of that stuff's going to come in. Don't worry, brothers and sisters, it's already at the doorstep. It's coming. You know, they're killing each other out there on the streets. Neighbors killing neighbors, cars running into people, stabbings and what other murders are going on on the streets. One hit punches to kill you, drunkenness and rebellions and fights and rapes and murders and child molestation and pedophile and, and kidnapping of children. It's happening here, but no, we are turning a blind eye to it because we are saying as long as we protect ourselves, that's all that matters. If it doesn't happen to us, it, does, it means it's not happening in the world. An ostrich mentality always has existed in Australia. An ostrich mentality. Shove the head into the ground and everything else doesn't matter. 
no, 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 no. The emerging generation is not going to stand for it. They're not going to stand for this nonsense. They're fighting a spiritual warfare in the heavenlies over there, Australia, and saying, God, deliver Australia from this wickedness. Make it a generation of, of, of believers who go out into the highways and the byways, who are filled with the Holy Spirit, and can turn nations upside down, can turn cities upside down, can turn everything upside down, because the power of God is working in them. Yeah. Amen. Now it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you something. You know, one thing the Lord said to Abraham, He said that you would possess the gate of your enemies. Wow. But we can only do the same thing that Abraham did was if we fight the good fight of faith and the prophetic in our minds. Why is the prophetic so important? Come with me to 1 Timothy 1.18 and 19. Timothy 1 18 and 19 this charge I commit unto thee son Timothy according to the prophecies which went before of thee that thou by them mightest walk a good warfare for faith and a good conscience which some having put away concerning faith have made shipwreck then he describes who those people were so in verse 18 he says I commit unto thee son Timothy according to the prophecies which went before of thee, that thou by them mightest walk a good wolf. Paul is commissioning his disciple Timothy and he's telling him, listen, you know about the prophecies. You know about your generational blessing of faith, which came down from your grandmother into your mother and then into you. But you're intimidated. Timothy is a timid person. That's what Timothy means. He's saying, now stand up and find a good warfare. And don't make shipwreck of your faith by hiding it. What are you afraid of? The prophecy has already been spoken over you. It is written. It is about who you are. There's a book on you in heaven. There's a, a single book on you in heaven. But everything good and bad is being written in it. What you did and what you didn't do and what you did disobey and wouldn't do is also there. So God is, you know, interested in, in seeing you believe His Word. And so He said, I have prepared a table in the presence of your enemies. <laughs> you know, God, get me out of this. He said, no, I prepared a table for you in the presence of your enemies. But what, why don't you destroy the enemies? No, because you're feasting on the table that I've left in the midst of your enemies. They can't eat of it, but you can. 
So then, you know, I was in Tumba one day, and that prophet came up to me, and we were heavily under the anointing. I was sitting down there, and he looked at me, and he said, he said, I see you sitting around the supper table, enjoying the food on the table, and all your enemies around you gnashing their teeth at you, and you know, you're sitting there and saying, this is exactly what I wanted God to do for me. And he said, you were laughing, and you were blessed. That was at a time when I was going through great difficulty. I got hold of that prophecy. <laughs> you must get a hold of the prophecy, right? You take it into your spirit and say, hey, I don't want to say it. This is what God has said about me. So now I'm going to pray it through and I'm going to make sure that this happened. And boy, did it happen. Boy, did it happen. And I could see it with my own eyes. My enemies gnashing their teeth. I've come into the perfect place that God has prepared for me. And I can see my enemies gnashing. Things are going bad. Things are going worse. They're all around me. But I'm sitting at the supper table and I'm eating. Mm. And they can't eat. But I'm eating. They're trying. Trying to break the door down. They're trying to come through the windows. They're trying to come through the roof. They're trying all sorts of things. But they can't get through. The blood of Jesus covers you. The blood of Jesus covers you. They tried. They, 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 Jesus didn't stop them from trying. He said to the Father, I'm not saying that you should take them out of the world, but I'm saying that you should keep them from evil. You think the Father answered his prayer? Sure, sure did. But in order for us to walk in this way, we have to receive the Holy Spirit. Who is the promise of God? Today, word came, and you know, you receive tongues, baptism of the Holy Spirit, but you're not speaking. You're not, you're not using the weapon that God has given you to break down your enemies. You're still begging God. You're still praying out for a breakthrough. You're still wondering what's going on. And I say, hey, forget about all that. Let's start talking in tongues. Okay, because my mind is not incapable of handling anything that I can see with my senses. Because the manners of the world are getting worse. How am I going to pray? And how, how long am I going to pray the same thing repetitiously? So I go into tongues. And it's a prayer language that brings you into the presence of the Lord and edifies you while it speaks mysteries to God. Right? And things are being sorted out in a mysterious realm of the spirit because you're speaking in tongues. When you know you have the Holy Spirit, you have the promise of God. See, that will make you understand the devil is defeated. And that you are secure in Christ by faith. And once you know that, then you can move in power. If you don't know that, you'll be a dithering person who stands there wondering whether you're going to be able to make it tomorrow or not. Even though you have the Holy Spirit, even though you speak in tongues, because it hasn't become a reality in you that Jesus Christ is Lord and is seated upon the throne and that there's nothing that can possibly attack you or defeat you because all the principalities and powers are under his feet. That is what you see in Ephesians chapter 1, 17 through 23. Jesus high and lifted up, seated upon the throne. He defeated his enemies. He defeated his death. He defeated his everything that was against us. And he's seated upon the throne. 
Ah, God, why do you still allow, allow Satan to attack me? Why do you still allow Satan on the earth? I'm trying to work on what you did in the garden of Eden. Hey, forget about all that, right? Just get on with what God is telling you and get on to the job that God is telling you because the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and saying, get your life in order, sort your sin life out, get your mind back into order, renew your mind, bring it back into the Word of God, let the Spirit of God speak to you, let Him touch you and change you and make you new every morning. You might think that I don't go through problems. Tuesday night, around about two in the morning, the presence of evil. This is not a demon that I can say is a demon. I'm talking about the presence of evil. Evil as in I've never experienced it. Came and sat on my bed between me and Anoja and said, I'm here. So he said, So what? So what? So, but I'm evil. He's trying to destroy me. When I say he's trying to destroy me, he's trying to get into my mind. He's trying to get into my spirit so that I will fear him. I said, I don't care about you. You're a nobody. So I just started pleading the blood of Jesus. The weapons of my warfare are not carnal but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And it's in your mouth. It's not in your wallet. Don't go reaching for your Bible at that time. It's not going to help you. It's in your mouth. That's what he told Jeremiah. In Jeremiah 1, 9 and 10, pull down the strongholds by the words that I put in your mouth. So the blood of Jesus was in my mouth. So I began to plead the blood of Jesus and I spoke the blood of Jesus against him. And I said, I don't care what kind of division you're trying to put in my mind, you're not going to win. He stayed there for a little while. And then I moved from speaking about the blood of Jesus and I moved into tongues. Well, that really did it, didn't he? Because he took off. <laughs> but then in the morning when I woke up, I asked the Lord, I said, What's this about? He says, I'm trying to show you, son, that you have overcome. That in your spirit, in your inner man, not just a night on Tuesday night, but in your spirit, through what you have gone through, through the trials and the tribulations of your life, through your childhood, through your adulthood, through your Christendom, everything that you have gone through, you have come to the place of overcoming. Now you don't care two hoots about the devil or what he can do or how often he turns up at my doorstep and worry about whether I'm under a curse or not under a curse, whether this is happening or because of some sin in my life or something else. 
but I have understood that he is coming because he wants the prophetic in my life that God has already spoken and he spoke in, Ju in July 2018 about the apostolic journey that is going to come into my life and that was spoken prophetically by the Lord into my heart and it began to outwork itself from 17 through to 19 and all the symptoms and the signs and the manifestations came to pass and now the devil is trying to take that because now my tickets are booked to go to India for six weeks. Aloja is coming with me. Chris is coming with me. I declare that by faith. Amen. Amen. Why? Because he's after the prophetic. But no man is an island. No man is an island. You cannot go it yourself. We need each other. Okay? We need each other. You know, the finger is not the strongest part of the body. But we need the finger. So don't discount anybody. This church must operate on unity and love and purpose and direction of God for it in the prophetic. Not some hairy fairy, you know, I want to do this and I want to do that and let's go down this track and let's see if this will work and that will work. No, no, none of those things are going to work. What did God say we should do to that? Jesus did. Mary told the workers in the uh, canon of uh, marriage that he said, just do what Jesus tells you to do. Don't do anything else. And you'll see the miracle. Uh, we do it. If we stay united, we stay strong, we stay focused on what God has called us to do, you will see the miracles. You will see the signs and wonders. You will see the Southwest Corridor change. You, he wants to break that down in us. <coughs> he wants to discourage that. And he said, no, it's not happening. It will never happen. You're not, you're, not, you're not strong enough as a people to do it. No, we're strong when we pray. We're strong when we seek the Lord. We're strong when we know the word. We're strong when we declare what has already been done. That's when we're strong. Together, we can do it. <coughs> when you get to the point where in your own life you are facing great difficulties and you don't know what to do, I want to tell you, don't stand on your own. First person to go to is the Holy Spirit. He's known as the Comforter. He's the Comforter. He's the one who can tell you what to do in that situation. If we depend on Him, we will go places and be rescued from all our woes. Yeah, did it take time? Yes, of course it took time. Because God had to deal with a hard-hearted person who didn't want to receive the Word of God in the, in the way it was presented and the truth that came from that word because it did not suit our purposes. He called Israel a stiff-necked people, a hard-hearted people. And he said, don't harden your heart today, for today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of your salvation. They oh, I've already said it. Now why are you going through all the problems you're going through? Why are you facing the difficulties you're facing? Because some of it is coming because of the way your attitude is 
on what you should be doing with God and how to walk with God. I have been deliberating for some time on the world and its progress through time. I see God sitting back and watching the world for 6,000 years. And I see that He is watching a world go from a great mess to a greater mess to an ultimate greatest mess ever. <coughs> and I sit back and I say, okay, now, if God is sitting there and watching it, and it's, it's gone from bad to worse to the worst, what was the message all about? What was the message of God to the church, to the, to the earth and to human beings? And I deliberated on this. And I said the only way I'm going to find this answer is to find out what Jesus said. And then I looked into what Jesus did and said when he came. And he said to his disciples, I should go. Because if I don't go, the Holy Spirit cannot come. If I don't go, the Holy Spirit cannot come. What was the message? That we need the Holy Spirit. Have you got the Holy Spirit in your life today? You say, yes, I've got it because I speak in tongues or something else. I know I need more of the Holy Spirit. I know I need Him more than I need my own life. Because without Him, I will not be able to make it. When I saw Jesus in Luke 4, 18 and 19 coming to a world that was devastated by ruling conquerors like the Romans, people in great depravity, sickness and disease and all manners of difficulty without hope. Okay, it's one thing to be sickness, but it's another thing to be without hope. That means you're going to die a miserable death and you don't know what's going to happen to you after you die. That is without hope. And Jesus said, you know, the Bible says that Jesus is the anchor of hope. So when he came to the earth, in Luke 4, 18 and 19, he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Wow. He said, because thou hast anointed me to preach the gospel, to set the captives free, to heal the sick, do all of those things, raise the dead, and, and to minister the kingdom of God. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. I said, God, is this the message? You didn't come to serve governments. You didn't come to throw one government down and put another government in order and, and, and bring peace to the earth through that. No, he said the, 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 the shepherds were there by night and, and the, the angels appeared bright shining light and they said, you know, peace and goodwill to all men. Go into Bethlehem. The peace has come. And what are we doing? We're still looking 
for a worldly solution to our problems, to our daily lives. Instead of walking with the Holy Spirit and understanding what God has done and what the message is for the hour, what is the message for the generation, I think the emerging generation has understood what God has done. They have been, they've gone into heaven and they have received the power over and over again and said, God, this person has got mental illness. I don't know how to deal with it. And then they pray and they are healed. Not only heal, and not only after healing, I'm interested in salvation. One of the biggest mistakes that people are making today is not having a church congregation like we have because this is the harbor, this is the safe house, this is where you can bring them in and disciple them and keep them away from the evil forces of darkness who want to be released to attack. Today he, he read from uh, Numbers 21.4 about the, 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 the Jews telling God, we have sinned against you and against, our, against Moses. We have sinned against the, the church, the leaders of the church, the true church, by criticizing them, putting them down and saying all sorts of things. You know what it says that as the fiery serpents came out amongst them, what are the fiery serpents? Demons. That's what they are. In the modern day context, that's what they are. You're dealing with demons when you come to deal with most sicknesses are coming from demonic forces. Yeah. Right? Most of them. So you're going to have to deal with demons. But if you're afraid of that and you don't have the power, you're not going to do nothing, right? You're going to sit on your lounge and watch TV all day long. No, there's a dying world out there. I don't know what you know, but I know this. The Holy Ghost was given to ordinary people that they might resolve the problems of this world. And the Holy Ghost was given to those who believe and are willing to take up the journey of faith through power. Okay, I'm going to finish now with Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah 17 verses 7 and 8 Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is for he shall be a tree planted by the waters and that spreadeth out the roots by the river and shall not see when heat come, but her leaves shall be green, and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. Wow. wow. A tree planted by the water that trusted the Lord. And, and, and I want to tell you this vow. That's you. That's what the Lord showed me about you. In your old age. Why? Because the prophetic. Because she, she planted herself by the water. See, when the, when the root is always got a source of supply, 
And in our case, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. When there's the constant supply of the Holy Spirit, you're getting the water of the Word. It doesn't matter what happens, who says what, when they say, or how they say, because you've overcome, you've come to that place of rooting and drowning yourself in a place where you can always draw from water, and you can always be fruitful, and people will come to you and receive from you because they see that in you, they see the fruit in you. That's it. It took years and years and years for that tree to move from inside the forest to by the water. It's not that the other trees are discounted or discouraged or left out. They are, they are there. They're also going to make it to heaven. They're also good Christians. There's nothing wrong with them. It's just that they're not planted by the water. So they cannot produce in every situation of drought and famine and difficulty and all the problems that go on in the world. They are trying to search for it at that time. They say drought is coming and then when you go to take fruit from them, they don't have fruit because they themselves are in trouble. Because they did not exercise their faith to move into the water or close to the water, or at least send the root out from where they are to the water because they know where the water is. You go to Cairns, I've seen roots run for hundreds of yards. Massive trees, massive in the forest. But the roots all running one over the other for hundreds of yards. One, and it's not just one root, lots of roots. Each tree overlapping the other, looking for that water. Who are you rooted and grounded in today? What? You are rooting yourself in problems? You are grounding yourself in your problems? You are rooting yourself in your money? You are rooting and grounding yourself in what the government says? Or maybe the devil sitting on your shoulder and whispering some idiotic thing about who you are, you will never make it. No. <clears throat> Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. Your root must be in Jesus. If you're rooted and grounded in Him, then you shall be like a tree planted by the water. And the devil comes and sits on your bed, kick him off. Somebody comes to you for help, help them because you can. You have the fruit, you have the power. Who wants to be like a tree planted by the waters? Then you make a decision before you come out here. You make a decision before you come out here that you're not going to play church anymore. And something new will happen in your life and you will be changed and there will be something of a concrete spirit given to you that no matter what happens to you 
you will not love your life unto death. I wish everyone would get a hold of that magazine and read it. Let's pray. Lord, help us this morning to do business with you in a way that pleases you. That our faith will connect and we will receive of you. Help us to in Jesus' name.